Praise God. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, I am Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge. And today, I have the distinct pleasure of pointing you to the Word of God. We've been on a series the last couple of weeks entitled, All Things New. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered what the Word of God says. And it's important that I say this. For those of you that have been here a while, you know what I'm going to say already. But I just want to point this out very clearly, that we are looking to God's Word. We are not looking to my opinion. We're not looking to a church doctrine. We are looking to the Word of God. And the reason why today we look to the Word of God is because that's the power of God. That's the transformative power of God that renews our minds, that restores our lives, that redeems us and points us back to the very good news of the gospel. And so today we have the privilege of hearing God's word. And if you've never considered this, I'm glad you're here and you're not here by mistake. Because what we've been on is a series that has revolved around one main point. And it's that we have new life in Christ. Now, whether you know Jesus or you don't, the news is still good because according to what the scriptures say, what Jesus did, he did for all mankind, for all mankind. He didn't just do it for you who sit here that call this your church. Uh, Newsflash, you are the church. You didn't come to church, right? Um, But he, he did it for all mankind. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so we have a new life in Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. And it goes on to tell us that Christ's love compels us. I want you to notice from the very beginning that the love of God expressed by Christ does something in your life. It causes you to go in a direction. When it talks about compelling us, literally what it's talking about is it's leading us down a path that narrows, that's leading us to something great. And so the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, it's not about you. Tell your other neighbor, it's not about me. And so notice what the scripture says. It says that, uh, that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Listen closely to this verse. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I just want to draw your attention to that scripture, and I want you to consider what it's saying. What it's saying is that we, we regard no person or thing according to what we see or experience from our senses. So what does that mean? What that means is that the way that we relate to God and one another as children of God has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with your hang-ups. It has nothing to do with your insecurities. It has nothing to do with your shortcomings. It has nothing to do with what you've been told. It has nothing to do with what you've been taught. It simply has to do with something greater. And I'm so glad that you asked, what's that greater thing? Because verse 17 (laughs) takes us there. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. 
literally what the scriptures are saying there is that there is a new species of being, something we've never seen, something we've never experienced, something we've never known. It has nothing to do with what we fit in this brain of ours. It says that we are a new, the new creation has come. And watch this, the old has gone. The new is here. Now, I'll tell you why that's so important. Because you can't experience something new if you're still bringing in the old. Over the last couple of weeks, we learned a couple of points. I'll just quickly go through them. We learned that God invites us to step out of the old so that we can step into a new life with Christ. Jesus put it this way. He said that you can't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. He says because if you put it in old wineskins, the wineskins will burst and the wine completely goes to waste. Now, simply put, what Jesus is pointing us to is this. He's saying, there's a new thing that I came to do, but it does not fit in your old way of thinking, being, existing. The Bible says that he became sin so that we might become righteous. And so what we need to begin to understand is this, that what Jesus did literally affords us an exchange to let go of the old. And the old is not what you used to do. The old is not how you used to think. The old is not where you came from. The old is what you and I once were. And according to scripture, that was sin. And so, but watch the beauty of this message. Because of what Jesus has done, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says what? I became sin so that you could become what? Righteous. And righteousness has nothing to do with behavior. Righteousness has nothing to do with what you wear. Nothing to do where you call your home a house of fellowship. Righteousness has nothing to do with the rituals that we do and how much we pray and how much we read the Bible. If it did depend on them, then you and I wouldn't need Jesus. Because righteousness would depend upon what we do. And religion tells us that it depends upon what we do. Jesus says, it depends on what I've already done. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. That's the good news of the gospel. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been in that predicament where you were guilty of something. I know I've been there. Got caught in the cookie jar, right? Did something that was completely not what I was supposed to do. But I don't know about you, but how good is it to know that you're guilty and yet to be declared not guilty. You know what that equates to? Freedom. And according to scripture, that's what Jesus did. See, the good news is not about rules, ladies and gentlemen. The good news is is not about your behavior. If it was, then guess what? We'd still be living under the law. We'd still be subscribing to the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, if you do this, I'll do that for you. That's what the law was. The book of Romans goes on to reveal to us that the law had to be removed so that we might come into a new way of relating to God. And that's his grace. That's his goodness. That's his love. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could live freely in relationship with God. And so God invites us to step out of the old. And you know, the old sometimes is the old stuff that we know about church. If you're like me, church jacked me up when I was a kid. I was jacked up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you straight up. Because all I knew was 
You can't do this. You can't do that. God loves you, but you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go here. You can't go there. And so I was going to hell for the movies, going to the movies. I was going to hell because I was hanging with the wrong people. And, and, and the thing is, I bought into a mindset that said, you're wrong in God's eyes. You're not good enough. But scripture says that we are chosen, that we're a holy people, a royal priesthood, that we can come boldly to his throne. There's nothing stopping us. And the reason why that's so important to understand and to trust and believe is because if we don't take a hold of that, then we'll approach God with condemnation. God, I'm not good enough. Oh, poor old me, Father, please. God, please help me because I'm just a, a sinner saved by grace. If you were still a sinner saved by grace, then you can't receive grace. Because grace is something he's already done. That makes sense? I, I hope I'm not going over your head here. Right? But we can't, look, we can't approach a new life according to the old. The thing that is that our position has changed. And because of it, our conditions can change too. Scripture says that you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Scripture says that you are no longer in this world. You're not of this world while you're in it. And so the truth is that while we're located here physically, according to our new creation, who we now are, we're right with God. Scripture says you're an heir and you're a joint heir with Jesus. Everything that is Christ's is yours now. You are as holy, as righteous, as good as you'll ever be. Why? Because Jesus did it, not you. Not us. And so that's good news. And lastly, last week we learned that a new life in Christ isn't about living our life. It's about living his life. Listen, we can't approach a relationship with God thinking that it's, uh, for example, me, Jose 2.0. It's just a better version of the old me. That's not what Christ came to do. The Bible says that Christ now lives in you because you are united. You're one spirit with him and you are now united unto him. So you are just like him in him. He lives through you. And so if, if we're of the mindset that says, God, I'm just living for you. We're missing something because God didn't call us to live for him. He called us to allow him to live through us. That makes sense? And so, if you think about what it takes to embrace something new in your life. I don't know if you've been there. I know I have. Um, you quickly realize that in order to embrace it, to receive it, to participate in it, it takes being, uh, having an openness to change. That makes sense? Uh, and so, I remember when my wife and I first got married. Talk about culture shock, right? Talk about culture shock, right? So let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about, and, and, and I'll lead you to the point that I'm making here, is this. I remember that uh, after we got married, I couldn't just go and come as I pleased, right? You know what? I also realized that there was a certain type of way that you're supposed to put toothpaste <laughs> down, you know, a certain way you're supposed to use the tube, and, you know, it, it, it's just, okay. But here's, here's where the shock came. See, Rosa Telvina Garcia, my mother, was no fool. She raised six of us, right, by herself. Worked two jobs, raised six of us. Five girls and one boy. Trust me, I know what hell is like. I've been there. <laughs> right? 
Let me stop. Let me not say it. I love you, sisters, because I know some of you are going to be listening to this at some point. But, but here's the thing. My mother, when she cooked for us, there was rice with everything. Rice with soup. Rice with chicken. Rice with pasta. Rice. Rice with vegetables. Rice, rice, rice. And so, look, I love me some rice. I can throw down on rice. Listen, I will never starve. You know what? I could take rice, crack an egg in it, mix that sucker up, and I'm good to go. And if I really want to get fancy, I'll open up a can of Vienna sausages and pop that in there. I'm really good. Now I got a gourmet meal. So I remember we get married, and uh, we're, you know, I come home one day from, from work, and, you know, we were still in that phase where you could still hear the angels singing every day. And so I get home this day from work and the angels are singing and everything and I see my beautiful wife. She's still beautiful, more beautiful than ever before. I love that woman. I thank God for her. But I walk into the house and, uh, you know, I give her a kiss and, you know, the kids are doing what they're doing and all that. And, and I said to my wife, um, I, said, I said, what's for dinner? I said, oh, just, just go put your stuff down. Come on. So I settle in and all that. I change, wash my hands, wash up. And she says, all right, everybody come on and sit down and come into the kitchen. And it's pasta, right? Awesome. But I'm looking at the plate while we're saying grace, and I'm saying, where's the rice? And so I said, babe, um, there's no rice with this plate. And she said, the old is gone. All things are now new. I'm kidding. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. She didn't say that. But my point here is simply this, that the union of marriage changed everything in my life and it changed me. But the experience of life change gradually happened as I began to see things differently. And why do I share that with you? Because in like manner, our union to Christ changes our lives, it changes us, but that change is gradually experienced as it changes how we see. If you're looking for a big idea, I want you to wrap your head and heart around this. What you see is the key to experiencing your new life in Christ. Listen, God has done his part. He's given us his very best. The question is, what do you see? What do you see? Oh, you know, Pastor Jose, yeah, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, 40 years. Let me ask you a question. How is the word of God informing what you see? How is your relationship with Jesus informing how you approach life? I'm not talking about behavior, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says that we're to be trans- that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as this mind is renewed, guess what changes the pictures we see? While some people see the worst, you can see the very best. While some people look to the past, you're constantly looking forward. Right? While some people say, man, this day sucks, you go, this day is blessed. I'm appreciative for all that I have. I thank you, Lord, because I succeed in all things because you go with me. And so what we see is important. And we have to consider this question, what do you see? Now, I want you to hear what I'm sharing with you from the Word today, not from an abstract point of view. 
In other words, don't look at this as, yeah, that's what Jesus said, and that's what Peter went through, and that's what uh, 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 Isaiah went through, and that's what this person and Joseph in the Bible. No, I want you to insert yourself in the scriptures today and begin to see your life and what is possible through it. This new life that's available to you through the eyes of God. Let's turn in our, in our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, and we're going to look, start at verse 22, and we're going to read through 25. And it says, then he came to Bethsaida. It's referring to Jesus, by the way. And remember this place that he's going. It says, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. I just want to pause right there for a moment. Because for some of you, you're saying to yourself right now, ain't nobody spitting in my eyes. (laughs) And I've actually alluded to this at some point here in another teaching. But if you study this out, in those times, and even till this day, if you spit at somebody, you might as well be cursing them. But in those days, literally when you spit at somebody, what you were professing was, I curse you. And so what I want you to begin to see is that Jesus wasn't cursing this man. He was cursing his blindness. So I want you to get this thought in your head now. Jesus wanted this man to see. Right? So let's go back to the scriptures. Verse 24, it says, And he looked up and said, I see men. So let me back up real quick. Uh, In verse 23, it says, He asked him if he saw anything. So Jesus is asking him, What do you see? Verse 24 says, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And so in John chapter 9, and we're not going to go there, it concurs the, the, what we're reading here, but it goes on to also tell us that this man was a man that was blind from birth. It also tells us that he was a beggar. And so His perspective of life was one without sight and with lack. I want you to get that. His perspective, his approach to life was one where I can't see and I don't have. That was his perspective. That was his life. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. And I want to point your attention to the fact that Jesus shows up and that people from Bethsaida, a place known and recorded by scripture to be a place of great unbelief. The scriptures record that Jesus one day says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, you would, you, you would have believed. But they did not believe. And so Jesus is in a region where there's great unbelief. And it's a place of great, great, great disbelief. They're deceived. They, they want nothing to do with truth. But what I want you to see is that that did not keep Jesus from going there. It didn't keep him from going there. He was, willing, he was willing and ready to meet them right there. And so despite the culture of unbelief, Jesus was willing to meet a man there who was in need of healing. But we should take special note that he was unwilling to leave him there so that he could receive his healing. Notice that the scripture says, if we could put that back up in uh, verse 23, it says that Jesus took him, the blind man, by the hand and he led him out of the town. 
He took him out of there. You know why? Because he wanted him to embrace and receive something new. That while dwelling in unbelief, he could not receive it because he was still stuck in the old. And so Jesus takes him out of Bethsaida, right? And then he spits in his eyes, right? But, but, but here's the thing. This is the only time ever recorded in scripture where Jesus prays two times for a person for the same thing. And what I want us to consider here is this, that this encounter is more than just about a man receiving his sight, more than just about a man receiving his healing. No, literally what we see is that Jesus was unwilling to leave him without sight. Now you might say, man, that's a cool Bible fact for that guy. No, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, I believe it's verse 38, that Jesus, anointed and full of power, went around doing good and healing all that were demon-possessed, that were demon-oppressed. I want you to see that Jesus himself said, I came to give sight to the blind. And so what we, what we see here is that There was no deficiency. There was nothing lacking on the part of Jesus. So where was the lack then that Jesus had to pray two times? I want you to consider what Jesus asked him. He asked him, what do you see? What do you see? See, if you have to see it to believe it, and let let me just pause right there for a moment. When I talk about seeing to believe, I am not referring to your experiences. We're not talking about where you've been, not talking about what you've been taught, not talking about your college degree, not talking about the political climate, not talking about any of that. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if that's how we approach life, we're missing the potential for a new life because Jesus, the word itself, the word itself says that we now know no one, no person, no thing according to the flesh, that we don't relate. According to this temporal world. And so if you have to see it to believe it. In other words, if you have to rely upon your emotions, on your feelings, on your education, on your past experience, on your hangups, on what people tell you, on social media, whatever. If you're relying upon that, if you, if you have to see it to believe it, you'll never see it because you can't believe it. You don't have eyes to see. And that's why Jesus asked this man. This man was confronted with a prime opportunity to step into a new experience of life. But to embrace it required seeing beyond his physical eyes to see. Listen, it's called faith. It's called faith. See, all that God has done in Christ now affords us new life that has been done in the unseen. If you're still waiting for God to do something in your life, let me say this to you. You're not seeing clearly. You're not. The Bible says that God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Scripture says that he's giving you everything. Notice that it says he's given you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses uh, 2, 3, and 4. It says that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And that by the promises of God, we partake of his divine nature. In other words, we can live just like he lived. And so God has done his part, but it, it requires us seeing beyond the natural. 
Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice that, now, now let me just make something clear here. All men can approach God now. Why? Because Christ has paid the price. Now, for the, for the person that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior and does not grasp the truth, there's a limitation because there's an absence of truth. So the approach is limited. But what I want you to see is this, that what it reveals to us about God is that the only way that we can connect and relate and partake and receive and walk in all the promises of God is by this one simple thing called faith. Hebrews 11.1 puts it this way. It says that faith is the substance of the things that we hope for. That word hope there speaks of confident expectation. And so literally, faith is, what get, faith is the very thing that gives us the confidence for what we expect. And then it goes on to say, and it is the evidence of things unseen. And so it, it, we're talking about a sight that goes beyond the natural. We're talking about a sight that is renewed and defined by the truth that God's word reveals. That's very different. And so the one who can relate to God and participate in anything that is from God is he that actively exercises and walks according to faith. Let me give you an example of that just to give you an idea. Si yo les digo ustedes que yo tengo un, una caja, un tesoro completo, y en ese tesoro hay, eh, tiene un valor de más de dos millones de dólares. ¿Cuál de ustedes? Y, y yo les digo, y la persona que levante la mano primero es la persona que, lo, que, que se lo voy a dar. ¿Quién levanta la mano? Okay, a few of you got the picture. Right? Now, let me say that in English. Let me say that in English. If I told you that right under that table I've got a treasure, and it's upward in value of $2 million. And the first person that raises their hand can have it. Who's raising their hand? Some of you just like, he's a liar. That's not true. What am I, a candid camera? No, listen. Here's my point with that. I want you to think about this. The language of our new life in Christ is one where we see and speak in the unseen. So that we can live and see it in all that we see for life. Why do I share that example with you about the English and Spanish? Because those of you that could relate to what I was saying when I was speaking in Spanish quickly could respond. You could access it. And for those of us that speak in English, right, once you heard it in English, whether you raised your hand or not and went for it, you qualify because you understand the language. You can connect to it. And so the way that we connect and we relate to God is by the unseen. It's by faith. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 10 says this. It says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus our Lord. So let, let me just pause right there. Notice that it's referring to how we receive Jesus. Right? It says, so then just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In other words, what the scripture is saying is this. The same way you receive Jesus by that same measure, that same way, continue to live with Christ. Continue to allow life, uh, Christ to live through you. And so verse 7 goes on to say, rooted and built up in him, strengthened, listen closely, 
in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Watch the verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You know what the scripture is saying there? That in Jesus, what we find is the fullness of God's divine nature. And why is that so important? Because verse 10 tells us, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See, faith in Christ is the only thing that is able to build us, strengthen us, and allow us to uh, uh, empower us to embrace all the promises of God. I think of it this way. I remember hearing about um, this particular plant that grows in China. It's, it's bamboo, but it's a particular type of bamboo. And this bamboo, when it grows, uh, when the farmer plants it, when the sower sows that seed, here's, here's what he knows. It'll take four years. It'll, t- it'll be in the ground four years before you ever see anything. And so literally what happens over four years' time is that seed is growing. Those roots are spreading out. They're firming themselves up. They're, sub- they're being cemented. They're grabbing a hold. And then on the fifth year, what begins to happen is this. A sprout comes up. And in one year, that fifth year, that bamboo goes from zero to up to, up to 80 feet in height in one year. What's my point with that? See, the wise farmer that plants the bamboo seed doesn't plant it and go, I wonder if it's working. Jeez, I don't see anything. Must nothing be happening right now. Right? I'm watering it, but I don't see anything coming up. It doesn't feel like it's working. Doesn't look like it. Hey, Bill, what do you think? Do you see anything there? Is something, is something happening? See, we can't approach faith that way. The wise bamboo planter knows this. I may not see it. I may not be able to touch it. But here's what I know. That come year five, it's going from zero to 80 in one year. Listen, the Bible says this. Paul puts it this way. He says, I planted and Apollos, he watered. But watch what he says. God gives the increase. That's the guarantee of faith. That's the guarantee of a life in Christ. See, you started this journey with Christ by faith. And if you don't know Jesus, then today's your day. But listen, you started this journey with Christ by faith. And your development in your new life depends upon remaining rooted in a point of view for life that is defined by what faith reveals Jesus and so for the next couple of moments that we have here I want to just give you some fundamental scriptures listen I can go months on this topic maybe we should I don't know we'll see Um, but I want to just point your attention to what the scriptures declare Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this it says so then faith comes by hearing That's important because I don't know about you, but 
I want everything that this new life in Christ gives me. I want to experience it all. I want to walk in his blessing. I want to know his goodness. I want to partake of my healing that's already been paid a price for and is mine and it's it's active in my life now. I want the leading, the strength, the provision, the voice of God. I want all that. But the scriptures in, in Romans 10, 17 reveals to us how it comes. It says, so faith comes by hearing. And it says hearing by the word of God. I want to give you this point here that seeing by faith takes actively hearing God's word. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about when I say this because that sounds like so basic at surface level, but it's really so much more than what we read and we understand. What the scripture is telling us is that faith comes out of, it comes by God's word. But watch how it comes by God's word. Notice that it doesn't say that faith comes by having heard. It says by hearing. I'll tell you why that's important. Because for some of us, we've heard the word before. We've heard it. And you might even be able to quote it. But that doesn't mean that your hearing is defined by that word. That doesn't mean that your internal self-talk is, is, is founded upon the word. You know how you know when you're hearing the word? When you're in a state of hearing as opposed to having heard? When your internal self-talk is defined by the truth that the word says and not by what you feel or what you know or where you've been. That makes sense? See, this word, it causes us to, to come into a state of hearing, not having heard. I grew up in church. There are scriptures to this day that I could call for you in Spanish. Mira que te mando que te fuerces y seas valiente. No te más ni de más porque Jehová tu Dios estará contigo donde quiera que tú vayas. Joshua 1. I could tell you that backwards and forwards. But it didn't have any meaning in my life until I began to hear according to what that scripture says. That God has called me to be courageous. That God has called me to meditate upon his word day and night, that he never leaves me and he never forsakes me, that he's with me wherever I go. And until your hearing is defined by the word, you'll, listen, you'll, you'll want God's best and you might even assent to it. You might be one of those that says, yes, praise God, hallelujah, yes, I believe it. But inside you're going, no, not me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know my hangups. I don't need to know them. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not according to the flesh. That's what scripture says. God ain't mad at you. God ain't beating you up. God's not pointing a finger at you. Not even Jesus did that when he found himself before, before a woman caught in adultery. So what makes us think that we are any worse? God loves you. God's for you. God's with you. God's given his best for you. But how are you actively hearing the word? I don't know why I feel the need to say this, but I'm just going to say this. For some of you, everything that I'm saying right now challenges everything you think you know about God. It rubs you the wrong way. Maybe it even makes you mad. Ladies and gentlemen, I simply present to you the truth of God's word. And if somehow it rubs against something that you thought you understood from God's word 
let me just encourage you. I'm not the object that you should be looking. I'm not the one you should be looking to. What I simply want to encourage you to do is this. Go back to God's word. And see what God's word says. What God's word says. Don't hear what I'm saying through your filter. Hear it through the word. Let God's word challenge that. Let God's word teach you. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Let me point something out to you about this scripture. Notice that the power that's necessary for you to live this life of salvation is God's word. That's what the scripture says. But it's for that, for, for that one who believes what he's receiving from the word. It says, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Watch it. Watch verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now here's what I want you to consider. That all that the word reveals is what's right about God and what he's done right in you. And as we begin to accept and believe the truth. Listen, scripture says you are the righteousness of God. That you are holy. Yeah, it says that. Some of us, we've been told you're a sinner. No, if you know Jesus, according to scripture, you're a saint. You're a saint. And so, why do I share that with you? Because all that the scriptures reveal empowers us to embrace the righteousness of God and know who we are in Christ. And why is that important? Because it is that same truth that takes us from one step of faith to the next step of faith. See, seeing by faith isn't for the moment. It's for a lifetime, ladies and gentlemen. God doesn't call you to have faith for a moment. God doesn't call you to have faith when things go wrong. When it, when it doesn't fit, when it doesn't make sense, when you struggle. Listen, the scriptures say that you have a shield of faith. And it says that by that shield, that's what it's calling your faith, that you extinguish the fiery darts, which are the lies, the deception of the enemy. But the problem is this, if you're going from an experience of faith, if your approach to faith is this, well, I believe you, God, because now I'm going through this situation then here's what it reveals. You didn't have your shield up to begin with. You haven't been hearing according to faith. You haven't been seeing according to faith. And you haven't been acting according to faith. And so we're called to live by faith. And faith is not for the moment, ladies and gentlemen. It's for a lifetime. That's why the Bible tells us that we go from faith to faith. Think of it this way. Here's one step of faith. Some of you, this is the first time you walked into a church. And you took a step. And you know what? I thank God that you took that step. But there's always, here's the beauty of a relationship with God, this new life in Christ. There's always another step, which leads us to another experience of faith, another promise of God, which opens our eyes. It reveals this new life that's ours in Christ. In Isaiah 45, verse 11, it tells us, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons. Now listen to this. It says, and concerning the work 
of my hands, you command me. I struggled with this scripture for years, for many years, years ago. I struggled with this scripture a long time ago because I had an issue with believing and I lacked understanding as to what it actually means when the scriptures say, you command me. Mind you, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking directly from the Lord. And what God says here is, concerning the work of my hands, you command me. That word command there means to appoint. It means to commission. It also means to empower for the purpose of releasing one to do what they're supposed to do. And so what God is literally telling us in this scripture, and you'll see how it relates to this, this point of seeing with, by faith, is that God instructs us to give direction and empower the release of his hand by his word. And why is that important? Because when you can see a new possibility by the active power of the word, you can believe it and you can declare it. And God's power has direction to bring it to pass in your life. Let me put it to you this way. God, by your stripes, I'm healed. Listen, can I say something? Simply saying that is just words. It's just words. That's all it is, it's words. Now, it's a completely different experience when you understand, Jesus, what you did literally reveals everything that was wrong about me. And you, you took that and you removed it. And according to your word, it says that by your stripes, not I will be healed, not I can be healed, but I am healed. And so, Lord, I see myself as whole. While the doctors may say, this is, this is, this is your condition, what you're more focused on is your position. And what you're saying is, God, I know I'm healed. And God, I trust in your word. And so I believe according to your word and I agree with it. And I know that the manifestation of my healing must come. And so watch what begins to happen when you believe and you see according to the word, despite what other people might say, your experience changes because of what you see that brings it to pass. It releases God's word to act in your life. You know, the scripture says that we have ministering angels. And in the Old Testament, it reveals that they respond to the word, to the voice of the Lord. And so when we believe the word, we see ourselves according to it, and we speak it, there's a release of everything that God's word declares. As we close out here today, I want to leave you with one last point. You know, there's a purpose for faith. There's a purpose for it. And it's not about my car. It's not about my home. It's not about improving my life. Listen, all those things are good. And all those things happen as a byproduct of Jesus in your life. And of his blessing. And of a revelation from his word. But faith gives us eyes to see Jesus. And walk by faith. Listen. The purpose of faith is to see Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that when we look to Jesus, it's as if we're looking into a mirror. And as we look into that mirror, we're transformed. 
from glory to glory. You know what the Bible's saying? When you see Jesus, you begin to see who you really are. And it begins to change your life and how you walk out this life. And so the Bible records a time when Jesus was ministering to people. And he tells the disciples, hey, get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Go ahead and go while I dismiss the people. I'll catch you guys on the other side. And so the disciples get in the boat and they get going. And the Bible says that Jesus went up onto a mountain and he went to pray. And then afterwards he says, I'm going to meet them. The thing is, he says, I'll meet them while they're in route. The only problem with that, according to the natural, is that they were still in water. And so the Bible says that Jesus begins to walk on water towards them. And as he's walking, the disciples, they defer back to what common sense says. You know, common sense ain't always good. Especially when it comes to matters of faith. But the Bible says that they see Jesus and they begin to freak out and they say, It's a ghost! Oh my God, it's a ghost! What is this? And then the Bible says that one of the disciples... Well, actually, what the Bible says is that Jesus says to them, take courage. It is I. He says, don't be afraid. And then Peter, the scriptures tell us, steps out of the pack. He leaves the herd. He steps out of the place of unbelief and he says, Jesus, he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. You know what he's saying? Hey, if it's you, then I want to do what you do. I want to go where you're going. I want to go the way you're going about it. I want to do it like you're doing it. And so Matthew 14 verse 29 records the response of Jesus and what happened after that. Jesus says to him, come. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. So I want to propose something to you here. That that Peter gets sight of Jesus. He sees it's Jesus. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it's verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Right? And so literally, when you look to Jesus, something happens. And so Peter sees Jesus. He gets sight. This is Jesus. And so he says, I want to do what you do. And so Jesus says to him, come. Now mind you, that defies common sense. That that defies natural circumstances. And so Peter steps out. But Peter didn't step out on water. Peter believed the word of Jesus that said come. And Peter walked on a word. Peter believed. And so because Jesus said come... He says, I can go. But watch what happens here. It says, but when he saw the wind, in verse 30, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Listen. What I love about this occurrence between Peter and Jesus is this. That it's not just his story, it's our story. 
See, today you're hearing the word of God. And the word of God beckons you to step out of an old life, an old way of thinking, an old understanding. It calls you to break away from the pack, from the herd. And it invites us to a life of abundance, a life of blessing, a life of the goodness of God, a life of the promises of God actively working in our life. And what we see here is that Peter did not begin to sink until he took his eyes off of what the word revealed to him. See, what the word revealed to him is you can come to Jesus. This is where you belong, walking with me on water. But the moment that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and when he took his eyes off of Jesus, here's what he also did. He took his heart and separated from the word that he had received and believed. And so he looks to the wind and he looks to the waves, and the Bible says that then he began to sink. Then. What's my point with this, ladies and gentlemen? Faith and everything that the word reveals points us to Jesus. And when we rightly understand the word and we are looking to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, you know what we see? We see the story that he's already penned come to pass. You can live the new life that's yours in Christ. You don't have to settle for the past. Scripture says it's gone. It's gone. I shared this point a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to simply say this to you. Get moving. Why are you looking back? Why are you settling for old things, trying to fit it into this new life with Christ? Get going. Stop lamenting. Stop your crying. Stop your complaining. Stop your whining. You are all that God says you are right now. Embrace it. Get up. Get moving. Get walking on water. Because you're called to greater things in life with Christ. Let's stand to our feet as we close out here.